This morning we'll be reading from Acts chapter 10, verses uh, 34 through 48. And the word of the Lord reads, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he went and went and he and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach, the pe- preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still st- saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They They asked him to remain for some days. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Now unto him who is able to do far and above and more abundantly than anything that we could ask, than anything that we could think. Do you remember, do you remember that moment, that moment when you realized that verse was true? Do you remember that moment? That moment when you realized that God could actually do more than you could ask or think. Than you thought that he could do. You remember that moment when you thought you couldn't go on and then suddenly you received grace upon grace to take another step. You remember that, that moment when you thought you were totally lost and, and somehow, some way, beyond description, God stepped in. That moment when you were anxious about a test or, or the results and, and suddenly you experienced a peace like you had never experienced before. That moment. Do you remember that moment? Where you didn't know what to say or how to say it. But at the right time, you received the right word and you spoke that right word at that moment. 
You remember that moment. That's the moment that Peter had when he entered into Cornelius' house. It was that moment that, that when Peter moved into Cornelius' house and found Cornelius with his family and friends eagerly anticipating the arrival of Peter and Peter experienced an Ephesians 3 and 20 moment. But you do understand that there no doubt was a bit of anxiousness in the heart of Peter when he walked into Cornelius' house. Never been in a house of a Gentile before. Didn't know what to expect when he was to get in there. No doubt he prayed, Lord, let this be a nice meeting. Let this be a cordial meeting. Let us just get along. Let me go here without incident. No doubt there was a bit of flitter in his heart, beloved. As he entered that Gentile's house, not knowing what to expect. Who was going to be there? Or what they were going to ask? When Peter, as we saw last week, stood in the house and heard the testimony of Cornelius and said, we are gathered here to hear you, Peter, preach for us. It was that moment that Peter realized, my God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that I can ask or think. Because I never had it in my mind that I was going to go here and hear a ready audience to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God did. Amazingly. Calmed his fear. And said, Peter, I'm going to glorify myself through you and give you your harsh desire this day. A ready audience and ready ears and hearts prepared to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing reality. That's an amazing circumstance. That's an amazing experience that happened there in Cornelius' house. And the Bible says that when Peter stood up and opened his mouth, he preached the gospel just as he had preached it before. However, this time was special. For this time... His audience was Gentiles whose hearts and minds had been prepared by God and were hungry to hear the gospel. And Peter gave them the gospel with both barrels. I mean, he turned on the fire hydrant. He said, you asked for it. (laughs) Here it is. And he gave it to them without horns. Left no stone unturned. 
Talk about a brief presentation of the gospel, Wamba. Here it is. Peter was brief, but unfortunately, I'm not going to be. Because I'm not as good as Peter. Wasn't much different from the message that he had preached before. For you read these words of Peter here. Sermon that he gives contained all the essential elements of the gospel. And he makes it, and he makes it quite clear. And as you're reading it, and as you're seeking to understand it, you can hear, you can sense his anxiety give way to the joy of of preaching and the art of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds us, as he was reminded of what the gospel does when it is proclaimed, when it is believed, it is Christ. And he unites us. You know, the gospel tells us that no matter where we are, no matter who we are, it is always the same. And Peter reminds us that to proclaim the gospel is really, really beloved. It is to proclaim Jesus Christ. That's what Peter does. He preaches the gospel, but really, he just preaches Jesus. He preaches Jesus. This is what Peter did, and this is what he reminds us that we must do. He preached peace. He preached power. He preached for all people. Because that's what the gospel is, beloved. The gospel is the peace of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the power of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel is Christ Jesus for all people. And you see that in the text. Peter preached peace. Say that fast three times. Peter preached peace. Try it. I tried it all week. Can't do it. Peter preached. Preached, that's why I said slow. Peter preached peace. Take my word for it. And this is the point of the gospel. It really is the point of the gospel. Beloved, the point of the gospel is the peace of God. It is the peace of, of God. It is being right with God. You know, there used to be a fundamental question that was always on the hearts and minds of of people even around the world. And that is, as they contemplated the nature and the person of God, they asked the question, how am I, a sinful person, ever going to be right with God? Fortunately, people don't ask that question anymore because if you seriously ask that question, it will lead you to the answer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that is the fundamental question that needs to be on the hearts of all human beings. How in the world is a sinful, wicked person going to be made right with God and have peace with him. Peter says that Christ came proclaiming peace. 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 Why? Because sin made us 
enemies of God. All of humanity. All of humanity. And you got to get that right. You got to get that right. If you're going to understand what the gospel is, you have to get that right. Sin made us enemies of God. It was cosmic rebellion. It set us at odds and put us at war with God, the creator. Sin is an offense to God. And God is not pleased with sin. He hates sin. And not only just sin, beloved, he hates sinners. He hates sinner and he's sinners and he's angry with sinners. I know we're we're fond of saying that God hates sin but loves sinners. That's not what the Bible says or teaches. Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse 10. After Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they ran and they hid themselves behind trees away from God. Why are they hiding from God? They're not hiding from God because God is angry with sin. They understand that God is angry with them. Some... And verse 5 reminds us that God not only dislikes sin, but the Bible says that he is angry and he dislikes those who commit sin. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 reminds us that it is not sin that stands under the wrath of God. It is sinners. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. Those who commit sin and live in ungodliness. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6 and Ephesians chapter 5 and and verse 6 tells us again, because of sin, the wrath of God is coming upon who? The sons of disobedience. That's what sin does. It puts us at odds with God. Puts us at war with God. So that now, the wrath of God rests upon sinners. Not only does sin put us at war with God, but sin then also puts us at war with each other, doesn't it? Creates discord. Not only does sin set human beings against God, but sin then puts us against each other. You know that before sin, Adam and Eve got along just great. Got along just fine, holding hands, strolling through the garden. But after sin, the Bible says that they not only hid from God, but they hid from each other and then began to play the blame game. Because of sin, you do understand that Cain wasn't able to play nice with his brother Abel. Children can't get along anymore, amen? 
It's because of sin. Conflicts and animosities that rise up between us and within us is because of sin. It's what Peter is experiencing because Jew was set against Gentile and Gentile against Jew. Why? Because of sin. Even today, Israeli is set up against Arab and Arab against Israeli. Why? Not because of some land, beloved. It's because of the sin that is within the hearts of human beings. Our country has been ravaged from its very onset. The animosity still remains between black people and white people. Why? Because of sin. Men can't get along with women and women can't get along with men. Why? Because of sin. Rich against poor and poor against rich. Why? Because of sin. Beloved, whenever you see or experience racism, it is because of sin. Sexism, it's because of sin. Classism, it is sin, sin, sin. And if we, the church, do not call it sin, the world never will. And if you don't call it sin, then you're never going to understand or reach the necessary solution for it. There is no peace without the gospel. If we don't call it what it is, the world won't. And the world will never hear the answer. Which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only answer. The only answer is Jesus. And this is what Peter said. That the good news is peace through Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Those who are at enemies with God, which is everyone, really only have two options, beloved. You only have two options. Be destroyed by his wrath or accept his free offer of peace through Jesus Christ. There is no third option. Destruction under the wrath of God or accept his free offer of peace in Jesus Christ. This is what Christ came to do, beloved. This is what Christ came to bring. He was not only preaching the gospel of peace, Christ is peace. The world wants peace, beloved, without Christ, and it will not happen. Doesn't happen. The history of the world has shown that that does not work. It's not going to happen. You get rid of Al-Qaeda, and what happens? ISIS pops up. You're not going to have it. You get over Columbine, and what happens? Ferguson pops up. It's not going to happen. Because the problem is the heart of human beings. The Bible reminds us it is wicked and lost. It is given to wars and anger and pride and prejudices. 
There's no peace in the human heart apart from Christ. There would be no peace in the world then apart from Christ. The only solution is Christ. That's why the Bible says that Christ is our peace. And those who know him know the peace of God. That's why when you preach the gospel, you preach, as Peter said, peace through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Peace. It's the only place you're going to get it. And those who experience that peace will therefore experience the power of God. And that's what Peter preached as well. Because that's what the gospel is. It's not Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. The gospel is not only just the peace of God. The gospel is the power of God. Speaking of Jesus, notice what Peter says in verse 38. You yourselves know how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and what? And with power. Power. And that power made him go about doing good, helping all those who were oppressed by the devil. For the experience of the gospel, to hear the gospel proclaimed and to understand it and to believe it is to experience the power of God under salvation. That power is the authority. That power is the ability of God. And therefore, to mention Jesus is to mention the power of God. Power to do what? The power to change lives. The power to change lives. Notice what it says. Jesus was anointed with power to do what? To go about doing good. Healing. People. Those possessed of the devil. Beloved, Jesus makes things different. Jesus changes you. The gospel does. It changes you. You don't believe me? Ask the woman at the well in John 4. It changes you. If you don't believe it, ask the demon-possessed man in Mark 5. Ask Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Ask Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8. If you can't get a hold of them, ask any number of you this morning. I know your testimonies. I've heard your stories. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes you. It makes you different. It is the power of God. It is the power of Jesus. And those who know him have their lives changed. Their perspective changes. You don't understand the gospel. If you hear Jesus and believe Jesus and your life stays the same. Nobody, nobody in scripture, I challenge you to find them. Nobody in scripture came in contact with Jesus and believed upon him and left him the same person that they came. And it's that same power that Peter proclaimed there in Cornelius' house. This Lord of glory comes and he changes you because he has the power to do so. 
gospel comes with power. But not only power to change lives, it's the power to raise the dead. See that? Speaking of Jesus in verse 39 and 40, he says, They put him to death, Peter says, by hanging on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. This is the message of the gospel. It is the power of God raising Christ. It is the power of Christ over death. Death is an enemy. As the Bible says, it came as a result of sin in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It is still the wages paid for sin, it says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Death is an enemy. It is the power of, of sin in this world and over humanity. But the Bible tells us by the testimony of our Lord himself in John chapter 11 and verse 25 that he is the resurrection and he is the life. When you preach Christ, you preach the power of God, not only over sin, but over death itself. Raises, raises people from the dead. You don't have a true gospel presentation, beloved, until you proclaim the resurrected Jesus. Raised from the dead. You have not believed the gospel until you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the power of God. And if Jesus is resurrected and you believe that, it changes everything. Changes everything. It, death comes to all of us, beloved, one way or another. We experience it in our own lives, in our own bodies. We're going to experience it in the lives of those around us. Somehow, some way, death touches all of us. The gospel, the gospel calls for everyone, beloved, not just to make retirement plans. The gospel calls for all of us not just to make funeral arrangements. The gospel calls for us to make life after death plans. That's what you're calling people to when you call them to believe the gospel. I'm not, I'm not talking about a retirement plan. You get that at work. I'm not talking about going down to the funeral home and making funeral arrangements. I'm talking about what's going to happen after that. You have to have life after death plans. It's the power of the gospel. That for the Christian, the Christian understands that death is not the final word. It's not the final word. It's the final word in the world because they can't contemplate or understand anything beyond that. But for the Christian, the Christian understands that death is not the final word. The grave is not the final destination place. Christ was raised from the grave and all those who believe in him shall be raised as well. 
Therefore, the Christian can say, as Paul says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It is swallowed up, swallowed up in the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ. It's gone. It's gone. Because there's a power more powerful than death itself. It's the power of Christ. It's the power of the gospel. Gospel is that power, the power of God to change lives, the power of God to raise the dead, the power of God to judge. Speaking of Jesus, Peter says, he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You know, the gospel reminds us that not only is Jesus Lord, but Jesus is judge. He is judge. He is the one who knows the intents of every heart. He is the one who knows the thoughts of every person before they think him. He is the one who not only knows what you do, but what you would do if you had the chance to do it. The gospel is a dividing line in our lives and in the world, beloved. You are either in Christ or you are not. And when he returns, you will either weep for joy or you will weep in fear because he's coming back as the judge of all. Yeah, that's what the gospel reminds us. The gospel reminds us of the power of God to judge. That every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is judge, and all will submit to him. The power of God to judge is the power of God to forgive sins. Notice what he says in verse 43. And to him meaning Jesus. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the grace of the gospel, that the sin that separates us from God can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. That sin that weakens us and ultimately will kill us, can be forgiven and taken away in Christ Jesus. That sin for which you will be judged can be removed forever in Christ Jesus. So people need to understand that sin is too big a problem for you. It is. But the Bible asks a very important rhetorical question in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 24. Is there anything too hard for God? Biggest problem in the world is sin. And sin is not too hard for God. The gospel is the good news that God was in Christ accomplishing the forgiveness of our sin, reconciling us to himself, offering forgiveness to whoever will believe in Jesus. 
Whoever, whoever believes in him, calls upon his name, can have their sins forgiven. My sin, the songwriter says, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Half for it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. This is the power of God. It's the power of God to do what nothing else can do, and that is forgive me of my sins and take them away, and I bear them no more. That's what Peter said. Not only is the gospel about the peace of God, the gospel is the power of God. But notice what he also says is that the gospel is for all people. It's for all people. Peter preached peace. He preached power. But for the first time, he preached the gospel that was for everybody. He had preached peace before. He had preached the power of God before. But this time, he preached the gospel that was for all people. Notice how he begins his sermon. He says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, old King James says, God is not a respecter of persons. When I was a young boy, Josh, I always wondered what in the world that means. It sounds good. And so people would always say it in their prayers, Lord, we know you're not a respecter of persons. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what it means, God does not show partiality. What it means, literally it means that God doesn't see faces. It's what it means. He doesn't see faces. You and I, that's what we see all the time. And people look at other people and they say, I'm not racist. You know, I don't see color. You lying? Yes, you do. You see faces. That's why we discriminate. Not because we see hearts. Because if we saw hearts, including our own, we wouldn't discriminate. We discriminate because we see faces. Bible says here, God doesn't see faces. He doesn't see faces, beloved. And therefore, he doesn't discriminate based on nationality. He doesn't discriminate based on ethnicity. He doesn't discriminate based on race. This was hard for Peter to get over. This is hard for Peter to understand. It's hard for the Jews to understand because they had read in their Bible that Israel was the apple of God's eye, right, Bob? God says that several times. Said in the Deuteronomy chapter 32, he says it again in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8. David refers to it as Psalm 17 and verse 8. And Israel somehow is the apple of God's eye. And they heard that and they heard God showing favor upon them, and what they did was they mistook favor for favoritism. 
And they thought that they were the apple of God's eye because they were worthy of being the apple of God's eye. Thought themselves to be gifts to God. Beloved, the Bible reminds us that Israel was not chosen because of who they were, but they were chosen because of who God is. And he set his favor upon them so that they might be a light to the nations and draw all people to himself. But they mistook that favor, huddled up in their own enclaves, in their own tribes, and considered themselves better than everyone else on the outside. They believed they were special because they were Israelites. This is always, this is always the error. It's always the error of any people who use the Bible to discriminate. You think somehow that God has set his affections upon you because of how you look. This is true for the black Israelites who are standing down on the corner thinking that God has chosen them because they are black. This, is, this was true uh, uh, for the slave owners in the south, all across America, 200, 150, 50 years ago, who would use the Bible to justify slavery and discrimination, Jim Crow and the separation of the races thinking that they could open their Bible and find justification in their Bible for God being favorite, showing the favoritism to them. Hasn't changed. Do you understand me, beloved? And anyone, anyone, anyone who uses the Bible to talk about separation or the superiority of one people over another, they are as far from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as anyone could be. Far, far, far from the gospel. Why? Because the Bible says, but in every nation is those who call upon God and are saved. Why? Because we're all the same. You know, it's what the text is teaching us. The gospel sees us as all the same. God sees us as all the same. We all sin. We all sin. You know, like God, sin shows no partiality. Sin sees no faces. There's no black sin and white sin. There's no Jewish sin and Gentile sin. There's no rich sin and poor sin. There is only sin. And we have all, in some way or another, offended God. And because we have all sinned, the need for forgiveness does not discriminate either. It doesn't. Because we all sin. And you do understand that And therefore, grace abounds to us all. 
Everyone, it says in verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. He didn't just say Jews. He didn't say Gentiles. He said everyone. 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 There is, there is no such thing as Jewish grace. There is no such thing as Gentile grace. There's not black grace. There's not white grace. There's only amazing grace. And how sweet that sounds. Beloved, I know they've been pawning, they've been pawning off these, these white pictures of Jesus for nearly 2,000 years. But I got news for you. There's no white Jesus. And in reaction to that, in the, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, they start trying to pawn off black Jesus. I got news for you. There's no black Jesus. There is only Jesus. And here's the question. Suppose this morning you found out that Jesus was a white man. Would you love him any less? What if you found out this morning that Jesus was a black man? Would you love him any less? I don't need a white Jesus or a black Jesus. I need Jesus. Whatever he was when he walked upon this earth. Give me Jesus. This is what, this is what, this is what the gospel does, beloved. I need him regardless of what color he is. Grace abounds to us all. Why? Because the same spirit is given to us all. Do you see that? All those who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11, we'll see in the coming weeks, Peter said that the same Holy Spirit that fell on them at Pentecost was poured out on Gentiles at Cornelius' house. Yeah, brother, they got it just like we got it. They got it just like we got it. This, beloved, reminds us then of the unity of the faith, regardless of person, regardless of nation, the same Spirit, all sin, all forgiven. All the same spirit because, beloved, there is only one Holy Spirit. Gentiles not going to get a different spirit from the Jews. Different people don't get different spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. As Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 reminds us, there is only one body of Christ and there is only one Spirit. And the same Spirit that called me, the same Spirit that baptized me, the same Spirit that seals me from eternity, is the same Spirit at work in your life. No matter where you are or who you are or when you are. It's the same spirit. That's what the gospel does. It reminds us. And at the core, at the essential elements, at the things that really matter, 
We are all the same. That's a radical message. It was radical to Peter. It's still radical if we faithfully proclaim it. If you really believe it. It changed Peter. It will change you. If you really, really, really believe it. Here's the bottom line. Peter preached the gospel that day because they stood up and said, Peter, we come here to hear what the Lord has told you. Peter could have got up there and went on and railed about Caesar. He could have went on and railed about the persecution that the church was, was living under. He could have railed about the politics of his day. He could have railed about the latest social incident that happened on the, on the backside where all the you know, lower-class Jewish people live in Jerusalem. He could have railed about any number of things. But he stood up and proclaimed Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the one message that no matter who you are or where you are or how you are, you need to hear. It is always appropriate to preach Jesus. Every person everywhere all the time needs to hear Jesus. It's the one message and I am confident that no matter who I'm talking to, it's relevant to them. It's relevant at that moment. I can't say that about anything else. The man in Timbuktu couldn't give a flip about what happened in Ferguson. But that man needs to hear Jesus. No matter where or when or how, everybody needs to hear about Jesus. It was good enough for Peter. It was good enough for Paul. It was good enough for my mama. It's good enough for me. I pray that it's good enough for you. Let's pray.